0: I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy. As we continue our study in Deuteronomy, looking at Deuteronomy chapter 22, Verses 13 through 21 this morning Deuteronomy chapter 22 verses 13 through 21 and if you don't have a Bible of your own you can grab one of the pew Bibles there and turn to page 154 in the pew Bible page 154 in the pew Bible if you don't own a Bible then uh, we encourage you to take that pew Bible with you we want everybody to have a copy of God's word so please take it and use it it will certainly bless your life. You know, in Scripture, there's a a close tie between purity and sexual purity. We're talking about purity. We're in a section of Deuteronomy that focuses on purity. It's it's fleshing out the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, which has to do with purity. Uh, And and a big focus there, of course, is on sexual purity. And so we're, we're focusing in on that this Sunday and next Sunday especially And then we'll see some more avenues of purity as well. But we're focusing in on on sexual purity. So in, in culture, the idea of sexual purity is considered somewhat archaic and absurd. In our culture, uh, there's why would you care about sexual purity? Why should you care about sexual morality? Anything kind of goes in our culture, and anything is ultimately celebrated in our culture. Sexual immorality is celebrated in our culture. In Scripture, however, sexual purity is essential to the faithful walk of God's people. Sexual purity is not something to take for granted. It's not something that's no big deal. It is a very big deal, and it is essential for Christians and God's people to walk in a relationship with Him. Sexual purity is essential. Culture views sex as, as purely physical, a physical matter. However, Scripture indicates that it is there's actually a spiritual nature to a sexual relationship. First Corinthians chapter six verses fifteen through twenty, Paul says this. Do do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Right, because Christ dwells within us. Right, our our members, our, our bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then? Take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, those, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality." Sexual purity is a serious matter for God's people. And today's text turns to the importance of sexual purity and calls parents to protect your household's sexual purity. It calls parents to take action. Parents to take action, and it calls parents to protect your household's sexual purity. Purity, And so today I want to share with you three practices to protect your household's sexual purity. Men, as husbands and as fathers, you are called to protect your household from sexual immorality to the very best of your ability. Fathers and mothers bear responsibility for how they raise their children, but fathers are called Specifically, to be heads of the household and to lead their household in sexual morality. And so I hope to see that today from our text. And if you found your place there in Deuteronomy, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. If any man takes a wife and goes into her and then hates her, And accuses her of misconduct and brings a bad name upon her saying I took this woman and when I came uh, near her I did not find in her evidence of virginity. Then the father of the young woman and her mother shall take and bring out evidence of her virginity to the elders of the city in the gate. And the father of the young woman shall say to the elders I gave my daughter to this man to marry And he hates her and behold, he has accused her of misconduct saying, I did not find in your your daughter evidence of virginity. And yet this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity and they shall spread the cloak before the elders of the city. Then the elders of the city shall take the man and whip him and they shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman because he has brought a bad name upon a virgin of Israel, and she shall be his wife. He may not divorce her all his days, but if the thing is true, that evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her, of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we do pray that you would write its eternal truth upon all our hearts today, Lord. Lord, let us learn the importance of purity, sexual purity, and let us all strive to protect our families from sexual immorality so lord teach us today i pray and in christ's name i pray amen and you may be seated Now, what we have here in Deuteronomy is a hypothetical situation that Moses is giving to the people of Israel. You remember the people of Israel, they're on the the shores of the the Jordan River. They're they're getting ready to go across and and take over the promised land, to conquer the promised land. They're beginning to to take possession of the land God had promised them. And and so as they're getting ready for this, Moses is preparing them. And so he's preaching this sermon to them, uh, and, and he's expounding the, the 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 Decalogue, the the ten words, the ten commandments that he has given them, and he wants them as they go into the land of promise to be a faithful people unto the Lord, and so he addresses this issue of sexual purity, and he gives them this hypothetical situation. It's not an actual situation that has happened, but it's a hypothetical situation that could happen as they go into the land of promise, and so you have this young lady. And uh there's actually two outcomes to this one scenario, this hypothetical situation. There's two outcomes. There's a, a, a an outcome that is good for the young woman who's getting who's gotten married, and then there's a, another outcome that is not good for the young woman. The first outcome is that the the young woman marries a man and for whatever reason the man begins to hate her right he he, he, they consummate the marriage and then he decides he doesn't want to be married after all and so he makes an accusation against her he says that she wasn't a virgin when he married her and he brings this accusation to them but then notice what happens the parents get involved right the parents get involved, and, and the parents, the mother and the father, come out to the the, peop- the elders of the city into the gates, and that's where uh, illegal matters were decided, there in the gates of the city. And they bring out to the elders in the city the evidence of this young woman's virginity. In other words, they're, what they're saying is that, that we have raised our daughter to be pure And holy unto the Lord. We have taught her how to to live unto the Lord. And here is the proof. Here is the evidence. And they lay that evidence out before the elders. And when they lay that evidence out before the elders, then the elders of the city, they take the man who's made this false accusation because he has tried to defile this woman's character when she is shown to be holy unto the Lord, when she shows to be a woman of good character, they take this man and they beat him. And they say, now you're married for a lifetime and there's no way of you getting out of this. You're never to divorce this woman. She is your responsibility from now on because you have tried to bring a bad name on her and her household. You see, that's the good outcome, right? Because her parents raised her in such a way that she was pure, and the outcome was good. But then it could go another way, right? The accusation comes out, and there really is no evidence of virginity because her parents didn't do what was necessary. They didn't raise her in a way that that taught her to preserve her purity. Therefore, the evidence is not there. And so what happens, it's not good for the girl, right? Right? It's not good for the girl because they bring her out and they stone her. And they stone her at the door of her father's house. See, we have to understand, parents. We have to understand that we bear some responsibility to how our children turn out. We don't bear all the responsibility, right? Because we, we understand that, that you can do everything right You can do everything right, and still, at the end of the day, our children have to to make a decision, am I going to follow the Lord, or or, or am I going to follow the world? See, our children must make that decision. And so the ultimate responsibility falls on them. That's why the young girl is stoned to death, right? She receives... The greatest penalty because it's her, ultimately, it's her responsibility. We're responsible for our own actions. Our children ultimately will be responsible for their own actions. But we do bear some responsibility. That's why she's brought to their door because they bear some of that responsibility. They bear some of that responsibility. It is our responsibility as parents to train our children in the way that they shall go when they're in our care, when they're under our leadership so that when they grow up they will not depart from it as the proverb goes. Right? We're to train them up in the ways of the Lord. We're to invest in them. We're not just to turn them loose out into the world and and let them go and, and let the world raise them. We are to take responsibility to train them in the ways of the Lord. And if we want it to be good for our children if we want life to go well for our children and our grandchildren because we have a lot of grandparents here and even for our grandchildren right we need to invest in them we need to take action we need to be proactive to put some things in place that will protect our household's sexual purity we need to do that and we learned that from this text today. And so, so, understanding this, understanding that it is our responsibility, then, of course, I want to share with you some practices that might help us to protect our household's sexual purity. First, the first practice here is this. Parents, you need to exemplify sexual morality right you need to exemplify sexual morality It is so important that we exemplify sexual morality to our children we have to exemplify that we got to show them right the 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 first place where where's the first place that children learn how how the first way that children learn by watching by observing, right? When, when they're one year old, you, you don't sit them down and say, A, B, C, D. No, no, you don't start there. No, no, where you start is you just live out life, and, and they, they watch you. And, and, and they begin to understand, oh, I'm supposed to stand up. And, and so they start trying to reach and grab and, and pull themselves up, right? They, they start by watching us. By observing us, therefore, parents, we got to exemplify purity. We got to exemplify sexual purity in our own lives. You need to exemplify sexual morality. You need to exemplify that through your actions. You need to exemplify sexual morality through your own actions. You know, research, research has shown that fathers who sexualize and objectify women, actually teach their children that such activity is acceptable. Right? Fathers, fathers who, who who regularly watch TV shows that sexualize and objectify women, teach their children, their boys and their girls, that such is, it's okay, it's just the way the world is, right? When there's a, magazines that are on, the, on the, the, the side table there. I know we don't hardly read magazines anymore. It's all on pads and stuff. But, but when there's a magazine or something laying around the house that shows women half-dressed or not dressed, that teaches our children, that teaches our grandchildren that such activity is, is normal and acceptable. And so young men grow up to think that, well, that's just what I'm supposed to look at stuff like that. I'm supposed to objectify women. I'm supposed to use them for my own pleasure and then disregard them uh, because that's just normal. That's the way the world turns. Young women grow up to learn, well, that's just the way it is. And so they they learn to dress inappropriately because that's what daddy looks at. That's what daddy likes, and so uh, that's why I should dress. And that's young girls learn that far more from their fathers than anyone else. Likewise, mothers who, who dress provocative. Oh, let me turn back. On the other hand, like the good news, right? That's the bad news. But on the other hand, fathers who demonstrate respect for women and refuse to consume media that treats women as sex objects, teach their children to treat women with dignity and respect. Even what you watch, even what you consume on a daily basis, teaches your children how to act. Likewise, mothers who dress provocatively... And are immodest in their attire, teach their children that immodesty is acceptable and expected. On the other hand, mothers who dress modestly instill a sense of modesty in their own children. Scripture teaches us this, doesn't it? First Timothy chapter two verses eight through ten. I desire then that in every place the men should. Pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Holy hands, right? Men are to, to seek purity, to seek holiness in their lives. They're to demonstrate moral purity in their own lives. Likewise, as, uh, also that women should adorn themselves in, respect, in respectable apparel with modesty, Self control, not with braided hair and gold or, per- or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So women are to be dressed modestly, mothers are to dress modestly, fathers are to demonstrate purity in their actions because they teach their children to do likewise so we're to exemplify sexual morality through through your actions but also through your attitudes exemplify it through your actions but also your attitudes your attitudes towards (laughs) sexual purity don't take sexual morality as a, a light matter because it's not don't take it as a light matter because it absolutely is not Again, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, Christians, church, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of of Christ and God. It's a serious matter. Sexual purity is a serious matter. Don't take it lightly. Let there be no filthy talk or crude joking among you. What happens when 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 men tell dirty jokes at the water cooler? Is that taking sexual morality seriously? When we take sexual uh, holiness as a silly thing and we joke about sexual immorality, is that really taking sexual purity seriously? No, when you joke about it, when you make light of it, when you laugh about homosexuality, when you laugh about adultery, when you laugh about sexual immorality, you just put it whatever kind out there you want. When you laugh about it, when you make light of it, you're saying it's no big deal. And when your children hear that, they think, well, it's no big deal. It's laughable. It's laughable. So, so why should I be worried about it if it's laughable? You don't take it lightly. You don't treat treat sexual immorality lightly. You know, I hate this. I hate this. I hate it when I hear it. When when people look at their boys, and and, and it's almost expected that boys are supposed to be sexually active before they're married, and and they, they add on this, oh, well, you know, boys will be boys. Hogwash! They're only that way because you teach them, right? They're only that way because that's what our culture teaches them and parents didn't say step in and say that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's taking it lightly. That's taking it lightly. Oh, well that's just the way our culture is today. We're not supposed to be like the culture. We're not supposed to reflect the culture. Well, people just move in together and they live together before they get married. That's just the way it is. We're not to be like the culture. And that should never be okay. We're to exemplify sexual morality through our actions and through our attitudes. Parents, it is essential that you and grandparents, it is essential that you exemplify sexual morality at every turn. Be careful what you watch on TV. And I know it's hard to find anything out there today that isn't sexually explicit. But turn it off. Turn it off. Some of the most popular shows out there today are so raunchy, it's embarrassing. And it burns my ears to actually hear Christians talking about them. Turn that mess off. If all you can find to watch on TV is Andy Griffin, there's plenty of reruns out there. Just watch Andy Griffin. Turn it off. Turn it off. Be careful what you wear. Be careful what you wear. It doesn't matter if it's the latest fashion. If it's immoral, don't wear it. Dress dress modestly. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you say. Little eyes and little ears are always tuned in to what you're doing and what you're saying. So protect your household sexual purity by exemplifying sexual morality. Second, teach sexual morality. Teach sex, sexual morality in your home. I mean, when you talk, tell parents to teach sexual morality in their home, they start, wait a minute, whoa, 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 I don't want to get into that discussion. You better, right? Parents, grandparents, you better have those discussions. As uncomfortable as they may be, you better have them because the world is feeding them something else. You better teach them sexual morality, You need to teach them sexual morality first in church, right? Have them in church because hopefully if you're in a good Bible-based church, they're going to at least hear sexual morality taught in church. Have them in church. This is where a lot of people are, are getting off track these days. I've shared this statistic before, but you know what? Uh, 10 years ago even, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, it was considered, you were considered active in church if you attended church three times a week. Now you're considered active in church if you attend three times a month. Three times a month. That's Sunday morning if you have Sunday night or Wednesday night or or whatever. Three times a month you're 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 over the top active member twice a month you're pretty good yeah once a month you're just kind of sort of in there but that's the way our culture is nowadays even even church members don't want to be in church they they're off doing something else especially when their children are at home because when their kids are home, they're all off playing baseball or football or doing this thing or that thing, and, and so their, their kids are here half as much. Of even three times a month, they're here half that. 1.5 times a, mo- a month on average throughout the whole year. Right? We need them in church. We need them in church, but now, Consider this the church only has uh, has your children at most three hours per week that's if you you make everything and, and do everything you bring them to, to life group and, and church service and then Wednesday night service at most the church will have them three hours per week to influence them and and, and steal some sense of biblical morality in them. There are one hundred and sixty five hours per week remaining in out of that, subtract 56 hours for sleeping, assuming they get eight hours a, a night, which most of them don't. Uh, and then you're left with 109 hours a week that your children have influence outside of the church. That's 109 hours that someone else besides the church is influencing your kids. Whether that you be you as parents, grandparents are the world therefore don't just teach them at church teach them at home you have to teach them at home you got to get into those conversations at home you got to open up the bible at home you got to have those discussions at home and be sure of this Parents, grandparents, you better be intentional about teaching your children, your grandchildren, sexual morality at home. Because I guarantee you, the world is very intentional about teaching them sexual immorality outside of the home. And even in the home. Because Netflix and Hulu and Cablevision and all those games, they're just feeding it right into your home. Be sure the world is very intentional about trying to pervert your children, pervert your grandchildren, and bring them up in a secular sense of morality, which is immorality. You better be intentional. Because the world wants your kids. The world wants your grandkids. And they are hard after them. I I want you to just think about this. I mean, just look at, observe, right? Just, Just take a moment to observe how the world has influenced, how the culture, how the media especially has influenced our culture in just the last 30 years Ellen DeGeneres had a sitcom before she had her her talk show she had a sitcom back in 1994 to 1998 and I don't know if y'all remember that that sitcom but it was very popular when it first came on but then in 1997 something happened Ellen DeGeneres came out as homosexual publicly and and her on Time Magazine it was a big thing but also in her sitcom she came out in the sitcom what happened? It ran one more season and then it was canceled because people quit watching it. Because at that point in time, homosexuality was still considered sexually immoral. And families didn't want their children watching sexually immoral TV shows. So it was canceled in 1998. But then something happened also in 1998. A new show hit the, the airwaves called will and grace and will and grace was about this uh, a sitcom that that made fun of the homosexual lifestyle right it was fun and funny and people started watching will and grace because it was fun and it was funny and ratings went out the roof and they didn't people didn't understand what was happening You see, our culture gets it. If you can laugh about something, if it's fun and funny, you can accept it. And the world beginning to accept more and more the homosexual lifestyle. You see, we didn't celebrate homosexuality before, but now we celebrate it. Our culture, we don't. Our culture celebrates it. If you can laugh about it, you can accept it. Think about the sitcom Friends. Uh oh, I'm messing up. I'm messing with some folks now because there's a lot of people who love Friends. But think about the sitcom Friends. It ran for an entire decade from 1994 to 2004. And the sitcom Friends changed, radically changed the way people think about family and sex. The show portrayed the ideal, uh, the idea of a traditional family, as a thing of the past and really unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Why two parents have to live together and, and, and be married to, to raise a child? Oh, oh no, you, you can have a homosexual couple and, and the dad all coming together in this kind of weird thing and, and raising a kid. Uh, traditional family values are out the door. Oh, no, we can do it a different way. They portrayed uh, sexual morality, they tra- uh, portrayed sex as something that is casual. It's a casual thing. And, and cohabitation is just a, a, the norm. I mean, that's just the way you're supposed to do it. You see, it was fun. It was funny. And people began to accept these activities more and more and more. When Mary Beth and I got married in 1994, when friends started, when we got married in 1994, it was at that time still in the South, it was unacceptable to live together before you got married. Marybeth and I would have never have dreamed about living together before we got married. Now, we're both raised in Christian homes. I, I know that had something to do with it. But even in, in our, our city around us, it was unacceptable. Even if you weren't an active Christian, you, you just didn't do that. But now think about it today. Think about how media has changed the attitude of our culture and now it is accepted as just the thing you're supposed to do. In fact, if you don't agree with that, if you don't celebrate that, if you ever... Say something against that, well then you're just an old archaic, you know, fundamentalist don't have use for you. I know because I've been called that. You see, media changes our culture. The things that they're streaming into our houses for our children to watch, our grandchildren to watch, it is teaching them not biblical morality, but secular immorality. You better be intentional about teaching them biblical morality. Be proactive. Teach your children biblical sexual morality. So, exemplify practices to protect your household sexual purity, exemplify sexual morality, teach sexual morality, and third, and this is a biggie, uh, proactively establish guardrails to protect sexual purity. Proactively establish guardrails to protect sexual purity. You gotta get out there. You, you gotta be proactive in this. You can't wait until something's happened. No, you, you gotta think ahead. You gotta think ahead. You gotta be proactive in this. And proactively putting up guardrails in your children's lives, your grandchildren's lives. Encourage your kids to put those in your grandchildren's lives, whatever. But but you gotta be proactive in this. And so i'll just give some suggestions these are modest suggestions that uh uh, we did in our lives in gabby's life and and so just take these and consider these and it's up to you what you do but uh here's just some examples number one don't allow certain media to come into your house just don't allow certain things to come into your house especially in those younger years right don't don't let that stuff come in and don't trust the ratings because the ratings are not right i mean some things that i see they call them pg pg 13 they should be r rated and when i was a kid growing up they would be r rated don't trust the ratings Right? Even Disney. You, you watch some of these Disney shows today and, and Disney is trying to force it down our children's throats and, and they have stuff on there that you wouldn't believe if you actually watched the show. Some parents don't even watch the show. They just say, oh, it's, it's Disney. It's okay. No. You better sit down and watch that with them. You better see what they're consuming because you might be surprised. Don't allow certain media into your house. Don't allow them to watch certain TV shows. Set that guardrail in advance. Don't start the dating game. This has gotten me into trouble in in my life. But Mary Beth and I decided early on, and when Gabby was a a baby, we weren't going to do the dating game. You know, uh, nowadays people start Kids start dating in grade school. That's what they call it. They call it dating in grade school. It's not just having a boyfriend or girlfriend on the uh, playground. No, you're dating in grade school. I said, we're not doing that. Number one is training our kids for divorce, when you think about it. I mean, because they only have a... They only date for about a week or two, and then they, they swap to this other boy or this other girl. So it's teaching them to divorce. I mean, when, once, you get, uh, once you're displeased with someone, once that gets old, you can just swap off to somebody else. And, and so it's teaching them divorce. But, but it's teaching them a lot of other things, too. And I said, we're just not going to do it. And and I determined early on, and Meredith and I determined early on, uh, when Gabby gets at a point where she's at an age where she's starting to think about marriage and and looking for uh, the man whom she will spend the rest of her life with, then we'll start talking about dating and we'll lay out the guidelines of how that looks. And you know what? We were always talked about by the other parents. I know we were. We were considered the old fundamentals fuddy duds because we wouldn't let Gabby date their little boy in grade school. Quite frankly, I didn't care what the other parents thought about me. I thought more about my daughter's purity than I thought about their opinion of me. And you see, more parents need to get determined that they're more concerned about their children's purity than they are about the other parents' opinion of them. And make a stand. And you know what, I had to endure it a little bit from Gabby, too, because when she was coming up, I mean, kids want, kids want to be kids, right? Kids want to do what their friends are doing. And sometimes when, when her friends were dating, she wanted to do that, too. I'm, all the friends were doing it. And, and I had to be the hard dad who said, no, darling, we're not doing that. And, and you know, you've got to sit down and explain. Here's why. Here's why this is important. And I did that. I I set her down and I explained that to her. And it was still hard for her to take, but she at least accepted it because she understood that I was out for her better interest, not just trying to be an old mean daddy. By the way, when her and Blaine met, she thanked me for being an old fuddy dud fundamentalist because she doesn't have the baggage of all these wasted relationships in her past. Parents need to be more assertive. Parents need to be more concerned about their children's purity than they are concerned about other people's opinions, even their own children's opinion of them. Don't allow certain media. Don't start the dating game. And don't allow intimate situations. Right? Don't allow intimate situations allowing your children to go out when they do start dating, allowing them to to be alone with someone of the opposite sex. Right? Encourage them to go in a group where they're not put in a situation where hormones can go crazy and they do something that they'll regret later on. Don't allow them to get into those intimate situations. Encourage them to to stay in groups and protect their purity. Parents must be proactive to establish guardrails, to protect sexual morality. Putting those guardrails uh, in after the wreck is pretty well useless. You've got to start early. You've got to decide that early on. You need to establish those when they're, before they get to that point. When they're babes, you need to establish those guardrails. Then you need to maintain those guardrails throughout their lives. Don't give in. Don't cut a hole in the guardrail just because someone talked bad about you. Put those in place and keep them in place because their purity is far more important than all of this other stuff. Protect your household sexual purity. Parents, don't let the world's immorality be the greatest influencer in your children's lives. Exemplify, teach, And teach sexual morality and then proactively establish those guardrails to protect them and to protect their purity. Protect your household sexual purity. Protect your household sexual purity. But some might say, well, what if I fail? What if I fail? Or or what if, despite my, my very best efforts, a family member fails? Uh, falls into sexual immorality what if that happens and often it does then we have God's grace never forget God's grace first John chapter 2 verses 1 through 2 my children my little children I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous he is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only but also for the sins of the whole world you see jesus is the propitiation of our sins that is he is the the sacrifice the atoning sacrifice for our sins so that when we fail, when our children fail, when they make a mistake, Jesus is there. He paid the penalty for our sins and their sins. He made that sacrifice for them in their place. We have an advocate in Jesus Christ because He died for our sins. You have an advocate in Jesus Christ because he died for your sins to cover all of your sins. When you fail, look to Jesus. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness what if I fail what if my children fail look to Jesus look to Jesus he has covered our sins and he will cleanse us from all of our sins look to Jesus heavenly father Lord we thank you for our advocate Jesus Christ who died for our sins because Lord we know that in this world we are going to have failures our life is covered with failures how often do we slip into immorality but Lord Jesus you died to cover our sins and to purify us so, Lord, let us always look to You. And if there's any today, Lord, who have never looked to You, oh, Lord, open their eyes to see. Let them look to Jesus and find salvation in Him. And, Lord, we know that this world is against us. As we tr- Try to to live according to your word. Lord, we recognize that this world is against us and they are against living according to your will and and in your way. The odds are stacked against us except for this, that we have your power on our side. Lord, we pray that you would give us power. Power to stand up against the immorality of this world. Lord, help us to influence our children, our grandchildren in a way that they might learn from you, come to saving faith in Christ, and model their life after Christ. Lord, we need your strength if we're ever going to succeed. Bless us, I pray. And these things I do pray in Christ's name, amen.